Thank you, Derek, and good morning, everybody. Great to have you uh, back so worshiping well, together. Thanks. At Fifth Avenue. I just thought I'd sit here. It's great to have George Bomer uh, back with us as well. Thank you, ushers, uh, for waiting on us this morning. And uh, George has uh, said that he's been here uh, about every year that Fifth Avenue has been in uh, operation. Uh, back in the east side days and uh, other name changes and locations, uh, but he's always found us. He's been on staff as an associate pastor in several capacities since 1985 and been married for 34 years, so obviously does not have a problem with faithfulness and uh, didn't have a problem this morning with punctuality. And uh, George, it's great to have you back uh, with us at Fifth Avenue. Let's welcome George Bowers. <laughs> Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing with your New Year's resolutions? <laughs> How many didn't make any New Year's resolutions? All right. I like, I, I like that. Well, I'm so thankful for Tim and Jessica and Joel and Missy and would like to pray for them in just a minute. But uh, I, uh, Tim and I have had a long, uh, long uh, relationship in ministry and friendship. And we've done a lot of different things together. Uh, we've had retreats with, uh, I saw Tom Haller here this morning. And some of those retreats were, we've signed a release form that we would never uh, mention what happened at some of those retreats. Uh, I don't think it's allowed anymore today, but Tim and I have uh, shared a lot, and uh, we used to have offices next to each other, and we would share sermons with one another. And one time he had asked me in two weeks to speak at his middle school group, and I was the college pastor at the time, and I went into his office to share the sermon that I was going to share that night with the college students. And I'm in the middle of sharing my points with him, and I'm really excited about this message. And Tim just turns around, and he's just sitting in his chair, and he's writing at his desk. And I'm deeply offended, like, this is a good sermon. And he's not listening to me, and so I'd, Tim, what are you doing? And he said, I'm taking notes. I'm writing these four points down. This is an awesome sermon. I'm going to preach it this Sunday. And I said, but I'm coming in two weeks. I was going to use that for my message. And he goes, get your own sermon. (laughs) And I went into the class, and not only did he preach my four points, but he used the illustrations of my kids and talked, you know, I have this friend who has a daughter, and he told all about it. And uh, the only way I could get a little bit even with him is the next week I said... um, Last week, you know, I've heard Tim preach a lot of messages. Last week was the best message I've ever heard him preach in his life, but the middle school kids didn't get it, and Tim just, he had no shame, but uh, I would love to just, if it's okay with you guys, just to say a prayer for Tim and Jessica and Joel and Missy. Is that all right if we just give thanks for them? Lord, thank you for these four amazing people. And thank you for who they are, and uh, thank you for what you've called them to do, and and thank you for the gifts that each uh, one of them have and bring. And then, Lord, thank you for every person here. And for those I know, it's such a joy to see them, and those I haven't met yet, I look forward to that. And uh, thank you for your word. And I pray that as you've already been doing this morning, that you would speak to each one of our hearts and touch our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. I want to introduce you to a person that's become a friend of mine and somebody that has been a great encouragement. And even though he lived 2,600 years ago, his life and his message speak deeply to me. His name is Habakkuk. And I just wonder if there's anybody else here with that name this morning, you know. (laughs) If you haven't had kids yet, that might make the top 200 list. But uh, Habakkuk is an amazing uh, person, and his, uh, the, the prophecy that he wrote in the Old Testament is one of the smaller prophecies, but it has become so powerful in my life, and I thought I'd take a poll this morning, so in 2019, or let's go all the way back to 2018, in the last two years, how many of us have had doubts or ever struggled with what we see going on in the world and what God is up to? Is anybody besides me? Okay. Look around, there's a few of us. Uh, every week I talk to people in my office or on the phone who are wrestling with deep issues surrounding their faith. They're not wanting to throw their faith in, they just have questions. How does God fit into all of this? And how, what am I to think about what's going on in the world? And they have questions and doubts. And this prophet, I am so thankful because he speaks to some of that. He wasn't perfect. He struggled deeply. He cared deeply and had a great reverence for God, and yet he had deep doubts. He was someone who prayed, and he longed to see God's kingdom of justice and righteousness and wholeness come, but he struggled with the fact that that wasn't happening, that all around him he saw things not going the way of the kingdom of God. He was a man of deep faith, and yet he had deep doubts. He trusted that God was working in the world in every situation, but he questioned how God was doing that. This little prophet in the Old Testament, lived 2,600 years ago, um, impacted some communities in great ways. The Qumran community that was just... uh, just outside of Jerusalem, out in the the desert there. This was one of the prophets that they read and interacted with and encouraged them. And of course, for history majors in the Reformation, Martin Luther was greatly impacted by this. And I think this morning that he can touch us in our lives and touch us for our church life together. The title of my message this morning is Habakkuk, the Struggle and the Song of a Prophet. Habakkuk, the struggle and the song of a prophet. Just to bring us up to speed, um, just brief background, is under King David, all of Israel was united and for the most part headed toward God. But shortly after his death and his son's death, Israel was divided to north and south. And kings uh, ruled during that time who were wicked and led the people astray. But there was one young king who had a heart for God. His name was Josiah. And he led the people back to connect with God, and he helped to establish righteousness and justice. But he was killed in battle. And that's the context that Habakkuk is writing to. Because now the nation has begun to slip back into idolatry. They are unrighteous. Justice is not happening, and there's violence. And... There was a great threat 
from a military, uh, a military, what's the right adjective? Uh, a huge, wicked military that the Babylonians were threatening uh, Israel. The outline of Habakkuk is simple, for those of you that love outlines. Habakkuk has a question, God answers. Habakkuk has another question, God answers. Secondly, there's all these judgments pronounced on the unrighteousness. And thirdly, Habakkuk writes a psalm or a song, and he even puts some special notations. How about this, Gene, the, the, the author writing notations to the musicians? I don't know if he should be doing that. Probably The musicians probably said, stick to your own prophecies, you know, don't, don't be telling me what to do. So I want us to read a little bit out of this, uh, out of this book. I'll, I'll make reference to all three chapters, and then I'll make a few points, and then we'll stand and pray, and Jay can come back up. And, um, so look on the screen and follow along. Here's the, the first struggle that Habakkuk has. This is the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, received. How long, Lord? Could we say that together? How long? <laughs> How long must I call for help, but you don't listen? Have you ever felt like God's on a different time zone, like a different universal zone, and that he doesn't really care so much about our timing? God, why are you taking so long? If you would just fix her, if you would just fix him, my life would be better. If you would just do this, God, why is it taking so long? But this is a major theme in the scriptures. People waiting. Whether it's Jonah, three days in the belly of a whale, waiting. Whether it's Zechariah, the priest who lost his voice for nine months until his son was born. Or 40 years like Moses. Habakkuk is struggling with God's timing. Why is this taking so long? And I think that happens for each one of us. And you'll see what he's struggling with on the screen here. He says, uh, I cry out to you. There's violence going on, but you're not saving. Why do you let me see all of this injustice? Why do you let me understand the wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are all around. There's strife and conflict. And it seems like the law, the goodness of the law is paralyzed or is inept, and justice doesn't prevail. The wicked him and the righteous, and justice is perverted. He's struggling and wrestling because violence and wickedness seem to be winning, and God's justice seems to be losing. He has faith, but he's questioning what's going on. And isn't it true that sometimes the deeper our faith is, the more involved we get, the better that we see things, the more that we're in the center of the life, the more that we care, the more we see the possibilities of what could be, the more we pray, sometimes the more we struggle because we see the possibilities. But the good news this morning is that the prophet gets an answer from God. He questions, God answers. Here's his answer. Look at this. Look at the nations and watched and be utterly what? Amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if I told you. Haven't you said that to someone before? How was your vacation? You wouldn't believe it, even if I told you. It's amazing how much kids can fight. You just wouldn't even believe it. 
On one of our family vacations, we were heading from New Mexico to the Grand Canyon. I had bought a pass for, uh, for all of the national parks. And I saw on the map, this before uh, phones, I saw on the map that there was the Painted National Forest only 10 miles off the road. I took the turn. My entire family said, what are you doing? I said, we're going to the Painted National Forest. There was such a meltdown in the car that by the time we got there, everybody was yelling and screaming. I got out of the car, slammed the door, and said, I'm going to the Painted National Forest, and went out there. When I tell people that, they can't believe it, even when I tell them. But he says, something good is going to happen. And Habakkuk finally can take a breath. Thank you, God, you're going to do something. But not so fast, little Habby. God tells him how he's going to do it. What God says next completely baffles and undoes our prophet. He says, I'm going to solve this problem of injustice, of unrighteousness, of, of, unrighteousness, of people not listening to the law. I'm going to bring in the Babylonians, and they're going to judge the people. This causes him great consternation. How can you do this, God? How can you use a bitter, wicked people with a God complex? How can you use them to judge your people? They should be getting judged. It's a little bit like if all of us were upset with what was going on in Eugene, and we went to the city council and they said, we got you. We're bringing in the mafia. They're going to solve all of our problems. As you can imagine, he's struggling. The solution is even bigger than the struggle. Habakkuk is disturbed by this. And essentially, he says this, with all due respect, Lord, I know you've been doing the God thing a long time. I know you're holy, but this is not okay. Why would you use these people to judge us? And then look at what he says lastly on the screen here. I will stand my watch... I will set myself on the, on the high place and I will watch to see how God will answer me and what I will do when he corrects me. I love it. He's planting his feet. God, I'm, I'm upset about this and I'm going to go up and get by myself and I'm going to stand here and wait until you answer and until you correct me. I love it. One time when my daughter Madeline was little, she did something we had asked her not to do. And uh, so we gave her a timeout. And she's walking over to the little timeout spot, and she stops, and she turns around, and she goes, I thought that might happen. <laughs> and then she went over and sat down. <laughs> I love that. Habakkuk, I thought that God might correct me. God corrects those he loves. God corrects those of us that are part of his family. When I was little, I would often go across the, the street to our neighbor's house, and uh, she had a way of speaking to her parents that I thought was pretty cool. She would, when she wanted something, she'd say, Mom, make me a sandwich. Mom, get me some water. And I went home, and I thought this was genius. And I go, Mom, give me some water. 
And I'm telling you that it's lucky that I'm alive uh, here today. Um, my mom uh, severely corrected me and informed me that in the Bomer house, in our family, we don't talk that way. So if you ever find yourself being corrected by the Lord, you can say, Lord, thankful that I'm one of your kids. God instructs Habakkuk after this to write down five judgments. He judges greed. He judges oppression of the poor, judges murder, drunkenness, and idolatry. And the the chapter, if you read it, you can read it later, chapter 2, seems very depressing. But in the midst of it, there are these four beautiful things. And I, I don't know if I have them up here on the screen. I think I might have them. Yeah, in the midst of this chapter on judgment, he says these four beautiful things. The just will live by faith or by faithfulness. And I'm reminded this morning that in the midst of all the questions and doubts and struggles that we have, we don't have to get it all figured out. We get to be faithful and play our part. The second thing is he reminds Habakkuk that at some point the tables will be turned. Not everything you're seeing is how it's going to turn out. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? And the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And then he says this beautiful thing, the earth will be filled with the beauty of the glory of the Lord. He reminds Habakkuk that in every situation, in every circumstance, whether we see it or not, somehow the Lord is at work. And then fourthly, he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. And that one is interesting because he says that in response to their idolatry. And it says, you build these idols, but they have no breath in them. They have no life in them. In Genesis In the beginning, we see that God breathed life into Adam. In John chapter 20, we see that Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on the disciples. There's no breath, there's no life. And I'm reminded when I look to things and we sang this in the song, I want more of you, that the things that I look to in life to give me life, sometimes there's no breath in them that I need to receive the breath of life from God. And after all these things, after these questions and answers from God, after these judgment, something changes in the prophet. He has a a transformation. Because at the end, in chapter 3, he writes a psalm, or a song, or he takes time to praise God. And in the psalm, he says several things. One is that God is more brilliant than the sun, and God's rays are shining and reaching out, that God sees us when we struggle, and God is stronger than any army. And the change that happens in this prophet is profound, because in chapter 1, all he wanted was justice. Now he wants justice, but he also wants God's mercy, and he cries out for that. And look at how he ends uh, chapter 3, of this song. This is, uh, if you've never heard these verses before, it's really beautiful. Though the fig tree may not blossom, no fruit on the vines, labor the olive tree may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there's no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation." 
The Lord God is my strength. Could we say that together? The Lord God is my strength. Say that to the person next to you. The Lord God is your strength. Okay. And then notice the next one. He will give you feet like deer's feet. So look at their feet. Just hold your feet up to the person. Anybody have deer's feet? I don't know if that would really be a compliment, would it? Honey, your feet are just like a deer. But this, we'll get to that in a little bit. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on the high hills. Well, pat yourself on the shoulder. You just read the entire book of Habakkuk. Well, most of it. You went through the whole book of it. What are some things that we can take away from this? Here are some things that have been speaking to my life for the last several years out of this book. First off, Habakkuk learned that God was okay with his doubts and with his questions. One Old Testament scholar says this, honest doubt may be more acceptable, a more acceptable religious attitude than superficial belief. Several years ago, and I think she shared it at this message, maybe when you were back at the, the church over by Otson, Jackie Hudson shared a message called Doubt's Silver Lining. And she said this, rather than trying to get doubt out of you, rather than running from doubt, face it, embrace it. Let it lead you to the silver lining of faith and hope and love. Isn't that beautiful? At the end of, oh, I, I guess there was, kind of, got kind of quiet there. Isn't that beautiful? You're still trying to digest that one. At the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus has been crucified. Two of the disciples are distraught. And they're leaving Jerusalem. They're full of doubts, full of questions. They have more questions than they have answers. They're disappointed. They're disillusioned. They're walking in the wrong direction away from where they're meant to be. And Luke says something very powerful. He says, Jesus drew near to them. They're in their doubts. They're discouraged. They don't know what's going on. And Jesus drew near to them. Sometimes I think that God waits until I have it figured out, and then he'll draw near to me. The problem is, We don't ever get it figured out, do we? God was okay with Habakkuk's doubts and fears. There's some wisdom that over the years I've learned about our doubts and fears. And here's four things that I would suggest that you do with them when you find that you have them. Number one, express them to God. Doesn't mean you can't talk to other people, but as you read through the Psalms, you'll discover that the Psalm, the psalmists are filled with doubts and questions, and sometimes they're yelling at God. Sometimes they're just pouring out their heart. Do that. Get a say-it-all journal, write it all down, and express it to God. Secondly, don't get caught up trying to figure out everything. There are certainly some answers that we won't know this side of heaven. And we don't have to figure it out. Thirdly, lean on some things that you do know. We sang this morning, God is good. 
Maybe you boil it down to that. One of my favorite authors, Henry Nowen, went through a deep depression and struggle. He was uh, in, in a very, very dark place. And one of the things that he did every day is he wrote uh, something that he knew about God or about the situation. He wrote one thing down. In fact, he published that in a book, and you can uh, get those little, they're just one-page little encouragements. Lean on some things that you do know. And then fourthly, here's something I think is, that I've really learned uh, over the last couple years. Borrow some faith from those around you. Sometimes what we're going through, we just, we just can't see the end of it, but somebody next to us Really, we can borrow some of their faith. So uh, look at the person next to you and say, let's borrow a little faith from each other. I don't mean suck one another dry or anything like that. At the end of Matthew 28, it says, the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed them. When they saw Jesus, they worshiped him but some doubted. God was okay with Habakkuk's doubts and struggles. Second thing that I see that Habakkuk learned is that God was at work in the world even when he didn't understand it. In our lives, in our churches, in this crazy, mixed-up world, God's beauty is at work. I guess the ultimate example is the cross. It looks as though everything is lost and defeated, Jesus dying on the cross, but God's beauty was at work. New life was coming. Habakkuk reminds us that even when we don't feel like it, even when it seems like things are far away, God is at work in God's timing and in God's ways. And I wonder if we could say this together. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the beauty of the Lord. It's hard for us to see sometimes, but God's beauty is at work in every situation. Thirdly, Habakkuk learned this, and I think this is powerful. He learned it wasn't just a them problem or a those people problem. After he gets upset with God about all his brothers and sisters. They aren't doing the right thing. They're wrong. After he gets upset about the Babylonians, they're wrong. He says, I am going to sit down and see how God corrects me. As humans, we are very gifted at making all of our problems about them or him or her or those people. And we forget that we're part of the problem too. I'm not saying that there aren't justice issues and things that need to be called out and addressed. But listen to this. When I make it only about other people's problems and their failures, I am in grave danger of becoming like a Pharisee and I can begin to justify my own hatred. Psalm 139 David says, God, where can I flee from your presence? And he discovers everywhere he goes, God is already there. And then he begins to uh, give thanks and praise to God. This knowledge is too wonderful for me, God. I'm, 
it's amazing what you think about me. And then he starts thinking about other people. Well, God, people who don't love you, they're wrong. And in fact, I hate them. I hate them with a perfect hatred. But look at where he ends up with in Psalm 139. I think I have this. I'm not sure. I hate them with a perfect hatred. And I've always imagined it as though he catches himself saying that. And then he says this. Search who? Me. Search them, O God. Take care of them. No, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try my heart and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in who? In me. I love that. Habakkuk learned that it's not just a them and those people problem. And then lastly, he learned this. That even in difficult, confusing circumstances, Habakkuk could find joy and strength in God. One of my favorite Old Testament scholars, Walter Brueggemann, says this. The book of Habakkuk is a message of profound hope in a circumstance of profound despair. In this book, we see a transition. Our prophet goes from questions and doubts to psalms, to songs. Not everything's been answered for him, but he sings. He doesn't understand all that's going on, but somehow he finds joy. In fact, the circumstances haven't changed a lot, but he found a strength that is beyond himself. He has been changed. Something profound has taken place in him. And I don't think if Habakkuk were here this morning, and I'm not suggesting that if we're struggling that we just put on a happy, happy, churchy face and just everything's good. A good friend of mine, in fact, a good friend of mine, for one year during worship services at church, all she could do was cry every service. She would start to sing and she, could, she couldn't sing because she was in such grief. Tears ran down her face and she talked to me about it and said how guilty she felt that she couldn't worship the Lord. And I asked her a question, is it possible that your tears are worship? And I think that is true. Habakkuk would not just say in the midst of deep grief and deep struggles, be happy, happy. That's not the point. But I think he would say, and the scriptures do say, that even in our griefs and struggles and questions, we can find a strength and we can find God's joy. I want to put up these verses that we read earlier again to see where he ends. Essentially, this first part is, though everything's going wrong, though everything is not going according to my plan, and then put up the next screen, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me to walk on high hills. So I thought I'd put up a, a picture of somebody walking on the high hills. I don't know if you can see that. And do I have another one that's up there, or is that the only picture? That's, that's it? Oh, dang. The other one that I had was, 
it, it was those goats, but it was a little close up, and the look on the goat's face, he was <laughs> like that. But he will give us hind's feet, feet like deer, to maneuver through the difficult passages in life. He may not answer all our questions. He may not remove all the problems. He doesn't promise to fix everything. But he gives us grace so that we can maneuver through the difficult times. Our prophet this morning reminds us that there is hope even in the most challenging of times. And that God's beauty is at work in your life in my life, in our church, and in our world, even when we don't see it. And whatever you're facing, God is giving you strength and grace to face that. Can we pray together? That'd be okay? You want to lift your hands with me? Lord, we thank you for this uh, prophet who so many years ago was struggling, and yet somehow in the midst of his struggle, he found your grace. And I thank you that he could speak to our lives today. I pray for all of us as we look at what's going on in our world, as we look at what's going on in uh, our own lives, in our communities, Lord, that we would know that you are at work and that you give us grace and strength to walk through these times. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of studying your word this morning. Amen. Jay, come back up. How much reading did you get done? Okay. Back at the information booth, and we've read it the last couple of weeks, and we're going to read it one more time.